Tate. I'm Andrew. And I'm Evan. And on this episode, we're talking about Martin Scorsese's new film, Killers of the Flower Moon, and, and why, why it's, it's great. great. <laughs> I just want to make it very clear. I want it on the record. Yeah. I want uh, Brendan Fraser's. Not mm. Fraser, Fraser's. Fraser. I want his lawyer from the movie to have it be known on the record that I stayed awake all three hours and 30 oh minutes of God. Killers of the Flower Moon and you were sawing logs. I did. I started snoring at one point in the movie and woke myself up. Yeah. You know, I will admit that I fell asleep. I, I was pounding snacks to try and stay awake, honestly. Yeah. I was... Uh, I had eaten like a whole tub of popcorn and a whole bag of candy and I was, and that was at like the two hour and 45 minute mark. And I was like, this is getting rough because I still have 45 minutes left and I've pounded all my sugary treats and my soda. And so, yeah, I dozed off for about 10 seconds, Mm -hmm. two times in the movie. And then I was promptly awoken one time. Yeah. And then the second time I was I was being woken up, but I also woke myself up from snoring. It was I just want to tell you how strange it was because <laughs> me and your wife Carly are always the ones when we're together watching movies are the ones who fall asleep so fast. Oh yeah, like instant. And there were moments in the last like hour of Killers of the Flower Moon where we would hear you snoring and we'd both make eye contact and kind of just like this guy <laughs> and it was just oh like, my god it was just like you so guys have weird. no right it was so weird to experience that oh my god i think i think the key was i didn't have my chair all the way back and you did and i I've oh, noticed yeah. in the amc dolby where you have those seats that slide back if you put it back you're in danger it's a lazy boy basically you keep, you keep it straight up it's you a late it's a leather lazy boy it's so comfortable but yeah, I fell asleep. I'll admit it. Did I miss anything important? No. Was I asleep for very long? No. So there's that. I missed 20 seconds of the film. Yeah, And you've read the book. So it's like... I did read the book. You knew what was going on. I knew exactly where it was going. And now tell me about this. Do you think that the moviegoers that have not read the book will get more enjoyment out of the movie? Okay, I've been thinking about this. Yeah, me too. I'm thinking about this. I I am of the... I'll tell you where I land. Yeah. I'm of the opinion that if you've not read the book and you want to, you should go see the movie first. Yeah. I think... And there are a lot of reasons for that, and we'll dive into that. Let's just get into it. I'm torn because... (laughs) And we'll get to this when we dive deeper into the movie, because Uh I do have a few negatives. Just a few. That's fine. It's a tad. Uh, But... I feel like if you've if you've never heard about the story of the Osage, mm-hmm. if you never read the book, if you just went in cold because it was like a new Leonardo DiCaprio movie, whatever. Right. I think there's a little bit more shock value, and the quote unquote mystery for how however short it lasts will have your attention. Like, I I think I think the first hour of the film will have more surprises for you, mm-hmm. and like pull you in better. Yeah. Not that the first hour didn't pull me in, but uh, the book, as we both know, the book really does unfold as like a procedural. 
Yeah. It it is it is written and and plotted like a mystery. It holds its cards close to its chest for much of the book. Yeah. Like probably until you're over halfway through. And the movie does not the movie pretty much reveals who the culprits are right away. Yeah, like first 10 minutes probably. And I and I I get why. And listening mm -hmm. to Scorsese and talk about his approach to the film, I get it. But I understand exactly. Yeah, I understand why and what he was doing. I don't think his focus was on the mystery. That's yeah, not what the movie was about. Yeah. The, I, I think in Scorsese's eyes, the movie was about the relationships and the betrayal and how a betrayal that deep happens. Because it doesn't necessarily just happen like... Snap your fingers. Now I hate you. I'm betraying yeah. you. He was kind of, I think, wanting to show how you can love someone and betray them on the, in, on the deepest possible level. And, and, and lie to yourself. Yeah. And how it's a slow thing. And yeah. it's just one decision at a time. And it seems small in the moment until it builds and builds and builds and builds and yeah. over time it becomes you know a complete betrayal of your family and everything yeah. that you've that that someone like Ernest can love someone like Molly in a very perverted way convince mm -hmm. himself he is loving her while yeah. at the same time like killing her yeah like spoilers by the way guys killing her. yeah but well i mean, I mean <laughs> look you're looking at two guys that have read the book okay I mean, the book's been out if you haven't heard I mean, about it by now. People walk up with me on the street and they're like, you look like the kind of guy who read the book, Killers <laughs> of the Flower Moon. And I'm like, guilty. Guilty is charged. Guilty is charged. Yeah. I uh, I don't think that the motivation of the movie was to get into side character stories and get into uh, the mystery of it all. Yeah. I think he wanted to focus and hone in on William Hale and... Um, Ernest Burkhart and Molly Burkhart and her family and that betrayal and that emotional what it takes kind of for that to happen and uh, the ripple effect of that yeah. on your family and your life and 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 to kind of from that little relationship and basically from Ernest and Molly let that be a spark off point for like the zoom out of what William Hale and men in power like him were doing in that yeah. area all across like yeah the he wanted, he really wanted to focus on how systematic it was and to do yeah. that you got to you got to explore it the whole way you know you can't just wait for the last hour to explore how widespread it was like i think he wanted the viewers to really sit with the uncomfortable truth of how um unhidden how mm -hmm. like just you know how unhidden it was how com complicit everyone was in that community in the country and to really sit with that truth and to let it like perme permeate through the whole story whereas but i bring that up just because a part of me did miss the procedural aspect of the book yes i i did too i <clears throat> I actually have a whole, like, I think that if Scorsese would have done this in a 10 or a 12 part, like Netflix series of some kind, mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. it would have been freaking amazing because I I do think if he had tried to follow the book, it would have taken that long to tell the story. Mm-hmm. Like I I don't think I don't think you can tell a story that big with as much detail as David Grand put into the book. Yeah. In three and a half hours. I just don't unless you're completely changing the framework of how the story is set up from the book. You can't yeah. tell it in the same, you can't tell the story in the same way that the book told it in that short of amount of time, because yeah. the amount of detail that's in the book, like the detail is some of my favorite stuff. Like, um, whenever you hear about just, he gets into the traditions of the Osage people, the religion of the Osage people kind of, where they had been before they got to Oklahoma and that he, he doesn't dive deeply into some of the side characters, Mm -hmm. uh, but he at least explains who they are, what their relationship is in their families, how they knew William Hale or how they knew other people that were bigger characters in the story. And I think to tell a story in that much detail, it has to be like a longer format and I'm kind of holding out hope that like a director's cut that's six hours long is going to come out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's always the tension between whether it's a fiction or nonfiction book. Yeah. A- adapting a book is that is your goal to really replicate the experience of the book one for one, or do you want to adapt the the heart of it? Yeah. And I think kind of put on the horse blinders and focus on the heart of it. And sometimes there are multiple themes to a book and you focus on one theme or, or not. And like with a book like this, he could have focused on the straight up just like who done it crime. He could have focused on, you know, um, the the like, he could have focused solely on Ernest, solely on Molly, solely on um, Hale. Hale. But he yeah. kind of focused on that trio and honed in on that especially Ernest and Molly's relationship and I think he uses Ernest and Molly's relationship as the kind of ultimate example of what was going on in general I think it's because I think they did genuinely love each other in a way well there's something dramatic about that idea of like someone convinced he's in a loving relationship even like that that um level of denial yeah is interesting dramatically right um especially when the whole point of it is how you know these white people took advantage of the osage tribe Mm -hmm. and yeah uh and how they probably were convincing themselves well it's for their own good because they 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 looked down at them they saw them as less than i i thought something was interesting too the way that william hale presented it to ernest burkhart in the movie versus the book and in the book there isn't like a dialogue scene where they have a planning session you know yeah and those do kind of happen in the movie and i actually do think that they are downplayed a little i think smartly they're downplayed some because you can't know exactly what they were saying to each other you can kind of get the broad strokes of what it probably was or at least an idea of it but I thought it was interesting that William Hale 
almost the way he justified it to himself was, well, if we don't do it, mm-hmm. somebody's going to, yeah. or it's already happening. So we might as well. Yeah. Where the way he, he like lied to himself in his own head to justify it to, for himself, he had to even do that where it was like, to him, it wasn't evil. It was just happening. Well, and, that, and it's something so dark like that. It's hard, It's weird to say that's my favorite part of the film. Sure. But that's what I found the most interesting was it's definitely there in the novel, but Scorsese really highlights it is how banal and common the evil taken place is. Yeah. Because there's a way you could do this film where every act of crime or evil against the Osage is sensationalist. It's dramatic. It's, it's you know, heavy music, yeah. dun, 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 stuff like that, dramatic. Everything in here is understated. Yeah. It's cold. It's banal. And in my opinion, that makes it that much more scarier made it that much more gross like you the movie ends and you just feel gross yeah which is the point he wants you to feel that way yeah and i just found that so i was like because it's there in the novel but i i think david grand does this sounds like accusational he does sensationalize in a bit It, it it comes across more um you know dramatic in the novel the things that are happening and And I, I don't want to get to this point yet, but I think what Scorsese does at the end with that final scene uh-huh. really brings out why most people tend to portray it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought what Scorsese did this way made it like, I don't it, it actually, in a way, made it more impactful to me, like how understated it was, how casual, because it, it just seemed even more evil that way. It's like, yeah. you know, oh yeah, yeah, this is what we do. Like Hale at the very beginning of the movie is just talking about what, he does and yeah. how he sees these people and it's so common it's understated and every little the death scenes are just like they happen in a second very yeah. much like the irishman and they yeah. like feel gross in that way they're like it's so disconnected from any emotion or yeah. so, or any humanity and uh i mean i think that that theme is throughout the book and the movie is they didn't view the Osage as human beings. Yeah. And they, and the, like the, the thing to me that really struck me was that scene where the guy, I can't remember his name, but he was hired to kill one of the Osage people and he became good friends with him. Yeah. Over the course of like weeks. Yeah. And, would hang out with them and they would drink out in like the field or something together for like a long time. It seemed like the movie made it seem like, and then he just without any issue whatsoever, just coldly yeah, kills him. That was a rough scene. Yeah. And it was just like, they just, for whatever reason, it was just, they didn't see it as a problem. And, that for us is so hard to grasp i think in today's day and age but yeah a hundred years ago and to think that it was only a hundred years ago that people thought so differently about that is um i mean it should feel crazy to us and it is crazy well i really i really do think killers of the flower moon 
picks up a little bit where the Irishman left off because that was a big thing in the Irishman is like how understated the the killings in that were and how cold they felt and I really think Scorsese is is at this point portraying evil as not like this um, outside force or this thing that is like inherent in a person you know like a mustache or like person sensationalized Sensational. really it, like he he's portraying <clears throat> evil as something that's that's very common and as a result of like little everyday compromises yeah and little everyday decisions you do to desynthesize yourself to another person's humanity mm-hmm. and like really and it's all motivated by really petty things. Yeah. Like money. Mm-hmm. Or just like, even just like a little bit. And I, I think that's interesting because I, I think there is a truth to that, that a lot of evil that happens today, especially um, systemized evil, is like just can be a matter of paperwork. It can be a matter of just a small conversation in yeah. a barbershop or an office. Mm-hmm. And something that can completely destroy not only someone's life, but someone's, you know, legacy or generational heritage yeah. can just happen in such a simple everyday out in the sunlight. And that's an interesting way to portray evil. And it's a way that isn't normally in the movies because it's a big screen. Everything's bigger. Yeah. And I loved how big this movie was, but how small the, choices were and right. how that led to like great evil and it, it's just something to really ruminate on yeah yeah i think uh i understand the reason why he where he differed from things i think whenever you're presented with those two choices of we can either try to film the book beat by beat yeah or we can try to get at the heart of what the book was uh they made a hundred percent the right decision and you know writing a screenplay that tries to get at the heart of what the book was saying and i think he rightly decided that it's that relationship and it's that betrayal and it's the systematic little cuts of not of dehumanizing people yeah and i think people like <clears throat> I don't know. In the book and in the movie, William Hale is kind of painted as like this uh, evil genius, yeah. like with like this big plan that uh, that he is executing. Uh, I tend to not like to think of him in that way. No, I, th- I th- and I think the movie did a good job of kind of showing him fumbling a bit. Yeah, and I. I feel like that's a little more accurate to how it actually was. Well, but, but the part that I do think in the manipulation, I do think he was very, I think he was very smart to try and convince those that he was getting to help him like Ernest and Mm -hmm. his brother. Yeah. That just these little tiny decisions and little seeds that he would plant of, well, it's happening anyway. We might as well get the money. You know, yeah. these little things that he would plant in there. And each time it stripped away a little bit of like, that's a human 
being yeah. like we can't talk about human beings like that that is i think where his true evil to me kind of presented itself was not only does he not view this as a, a big deal to kill people but he also understands that i can manipulate people through like small choices and systematic ways to view that the same way yeah. as I do. And well, I, to me, I thought that was like, yeah, that was where he was smarter. I think in his execution, he was actually kind of dumb. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think his greatest asset to doing all that wasn't how smart he was. It was how shameless he was. Like he yeah. was the most shameless. Well, and it's that scene in the doctor's office yeah. where he makes the comment, about the guy that he's trying to yeah. take the life insurance policy out on. Well, I'm going to kill you anyway or something like that. Like yeah. he says it right to everybody's face and they all laugh and it's like, yeah, I, th I think he that's was so why brazen he, with it. It's yeah, He was just, so brazen and shameless. And I think that's another reason why if you're a Scorsese, you don't tell it as a mystery or procedural because when I read the book, because David Grant withholds, um, who was pulling the strings of yeah. these murders as it mounts up you're like whoever's doing this is a genius yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but you only think that way because all these crazy things happen and you're in the clear signs are being withheld from you it's the order in which he introduces yeah. what's going on so by the time you realize the tale in the book you're like oh how did he but he was he was their friend you know yeah but i think doing it this way in the movie makes it so clear like he wasn't a genius. He was just shameless. Yeah. That he could, you know, learn a bit of their language and pretend to be their friend and, and say one thing to this person and turn around and say this to Ernest because he was shameless. He didn't care who knew. Yeah. Because he knew the rest of the town would be complicit in it. And it's like, oh, yeah. he's just. Well, uh, and, and the movie definitely makes it feel like on a level the Osage people knew when they were faking it. Mm -hmm. Like there were a couple of these side conversations that were going on whenever um, Leonardo DiCaprio is earnest. Right. Is wooing they Molly. Wooing her, yeah. They're just like, he just wants the money. Yeah. And it's like, they knew that they were wealthy and they knew yeah. that people were going to come after their money. And, um, I think that it's interesting for them to kind of know that on one level, but then feel loved by these people. And then for yeah. that to be a lie is again, just that huge betrayal that you just wouldn't see coming. Obviously yeah. if you're in that situation. Yeah. I thought, I so, thought that scene in particular was, was really great because it did establish that like, they weren't just like these naive people, you know, yeah. but, but it did show that they were smart to it, but that they're also human in the sense that they do give a little bit benefit of the doubt because that's what most humans do, you know, but she was like, oh yeah, he wants money, but who doesn't want money? But yeah. he also wants love. He wants love and he money. Wants, he wants to be settled. Yeah. Yeah. And you could say, well, that she's being naive. It's like, I don't think so. I think she's just being a human. Is that like, yes, you're smart to realize that, there is more than just, you know, a wooing or a love thing. There's yeah. money involved, but also you're a human and you want love. Yeah. So you're going to see that. 
Well, and I think too, it, she, and I, I thought about this quite a bit because I think so often we use the logic of, if you loved me, you wouldn't do the X. Mm -hmm. If you loved me, you wouldn't not take the trash out for two days or like, you know, I think we tend to use this kind of flawed logic of, well, if that person really loved the other person, they wouldn't make these decisions where I thought the movie was an interesting showcase. And I think Molly loved him and he loved Molly. And I think the reason why he got away with everything he was doing for as long as he did was because she did feel love from him. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that the challenging part about it is sorting through the complex emotions of loving someone and literally doing everything that you can to keep things from them and to kill them eventually. Yeah. And the lies that you tell yourself. And, and again, I go back to this part where I think William Hale was just able to manipulate. I don't think he was a genius, but I think he was very good at manipulating people into feeling the way he felt and to seeing his point of view and then yeah. making them not feel like saying something crazy and then making them not feel like that's a crazy thing to think or crazy yeah. thing to do. Well, I think he made... Well, also, he had power over Ernest. Well, yeah, he he, he had just power. had all the... He was holding all the cards over Ernest. Yeah. I, I think he had, at least in the movie, you get the sense that, like, he made other people like Ernest feel more comfortable about their darker nature. Because mm -hmm. he, he just was so open about it. It's like, well, don't yeah. you want money? Don't you want to do this? And then, like, you're like, well, and you, just, you just become so comfortable with those darker impulses that you let him go. And But, I, yeah, I think with Ernest... It was definitely a, a selfish love. It's like, in a way, there was love, but it wasn't selfless. And, yeah. And... Uh, I, I understand that, but at the on the other hand, I think Molly did feel... Yeah, she felt love at times, yeah. Yeah. That would convince I, her. That would convince her that he couldn't or wouldn't betray yeah. her like that. Yeah. On, and, that, on that deep level. And... I don't know. And I, I, t to me, for Molly to feel that way for as long as she did, I feel like there had to be truth in that to a certain, to a, to a point. You yeah. Know? No. Yeah. I think that is something dramatically interesting is like, can you give some kind of love while also like basically hurting, taking everything, taking advantage someone. of somebody and what would that look like? And, um, but it was a great microcosm because that's how Hale and everyone else took advantage of these people is they did do things to befriend them. Like Hale did at times help these people. Right. And it, it was a microcosm of that is like, of like, we're going to befriend you and do things to you while at the same time poisoning you. Yeah. Um, it's like, we're giving you this thing you could call it love and it feels good at the time, but it's also poisoning you. It's hurting you. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that was, I thought that was interesting. So maybe you've noticed by looking at your podcast feed, uh, the graphic might be different. The name is definitely different, but we've decided we went to a vote. It was unanimous two to nothing that we would change the podcast 
to the Why It's Great podcast to match the YouTube channel. We feel as if... <laughs> we feel... We mourn the loss of the name Professional Appreciators. We think that Professional Appreciators is a good name for a podcast. It's a great name. But we don't think that people know how to spell professional or appreciator <laughs> well enough to look it up. And I think there's just some confusion <laughs> in the crossover between the YouTube channel and the podcast. And we want to make it as easy as possible for anyone because more eyes are on the YouTube channel. That's true. And we want to make it as easy as possible for people who watch a video, especially if it's a podcast, you know, edit on the, on the YouTube page and they go, Oh, I'm going to listen to more. That they don't type in why it's great podcast because I bet that's happened. It feels intuitive. Yeah. Yeah. Just make it point. all make it all one. But the spirit of the name professional appreciators will still apply. I think I'll it, still refer to ourselves as appreciators. Sure. Yeah, that could be for us. And maybe if this whole thing grows, <laughs> we can we can bring that name back somehow. If it grows, then we're gonna switch it back unexpectedly and be like, "Gotcha, <laughs> gotcha." <laughs> but yeah, so just so there's no confusion for the loyal listeners, so far we are now the Why It's Great podcast, but spiritually we're still the professional appreciators, and we mourn it, and we appreciate you sticking with us. There you go. Okay, back to your reg. Uh, back to your reg. Back to your <laughs> regularly. Back to your regularly program. scheduled programming. You know, everybody says that it's an easy job saying stuff, but yeah. it's not. Saying things is hard sometimes. Yeah. I do want to mention that final scene because that final little coda, Scorsese puts at the end of the movie, that is the main thing different from the book with that little radio drama. Right, yeah. To me, as I kind of went home that night and sat on it um, and saw some other people talking about it, uh, it really reminded me of the ending of Wolf of Wall Street, where the ending of Wolf of Wall Street really indicts you as a viewer mm. to uh, Jordan Belfort's scheme. Because, like, in the Wolf of Wall Street... Um, the reason Jordan gets away with everything is because uh, everyone is so distracted by the appeal of opulence mm -hmm. and flashiness and wealth and that people look the other way because it's a truth about America. We just love opulence and yeah. we love people who can give us opulence. Right. And so we're kind of hypnotized. And at the very end, Jordan, after he's been convicted, after he has been shown to be a wolf, mm -hmm. He is in front of that crowd and he woos them with his opulence, his ability to sell a pen. And it cuts to the audience and the final shot yeah. is this odd audience. And you as a viewer have been awed the whole movie, even though you're watching a terrible person. Yeah. I got that same feeling at the end of Kill Killers of the Flower Moon because when Scorsese has his cameo and it's retelling the story of the Osage people mm -hmm. in this sensationalist radio drama way to an audience of white people for entertainment, mm -hmm. it's almost Scorsese going, oh, you're interested in this story, this terrible, tragic story of the Osage people mm -hmm. for entertainment? Yeah. And I think it's like an indictment of like how we only know about these things because it became an interesting mystery for white people to listen about. Right. And I... I it was just the final nail in like the grossness of the film 
and by grossness, I mean like how it makes you feel gross. Yeah. And I was like, Scorsese did it again, man. Like the, that was the, you know, you're laughing, you're having a blast in the Wolf of Wall Street. And he cuts to the end, he goes, you're the reason people like him are able to do this because you sit there with your mouth open like, whoa. Mm-hmm. And, Scor- and Scorsese does the same thing with Wolf of Wall Street. The ending, he just kind of punches you in the gut. Like, yeah. like, oh no, everyone in this film was complicit. So are you. Yeah. And I was like, ooh. So I, I loved the ending. The ending was great. Yeah. It of and that's <clears throat> that was one thing that I felt a little strange about. In the movie, um the whole movie, it didn't have a huge like a hugely sensationalized or dramatic feeling to it. Mm-mm. The it it felt cold. Like it felt like yeah systematic and there wasn't a big emotional earnest coming to terms with what he's done or William Hale revealing his plan in a grand way or Molly having her say to Ernest and telling him off and like you know getting that satisfaction there wasn't it it felt uh, void of all of that like drama and all of that like the stuff that you kind of want out of a yeah. out of a dramatic that, movie. That Aaron Sorkin monologue. Sure, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And then at the end, it was all like when he was reading mm-hmm. doing his cameo, like that was that emotional piece to the movie that I felt like hadn't been there the entire time. Yeah. And it was basically Scorsese reminding you, like, these are all people that died. And, like, more than we even know or have record of died. And that affected generations and generations and generations. And, like you said, and we're sitting here and watching it for entertainment. So, yeah, I felt like... With a bucket of popcorn with Reese's Pieces in it. Yeah. yeah. And I... I, uh, Yeah, I just... In that moment, it was like, oh, that was why. Yeah. He, I, I feel like some scenes that I thought would be dramatic, and and it kind of goes to show, like as movie, as viewers, what we're used to seeing, mm-hmm. which is like we're used to seeing this like very dramatized way of acting, and uh, and not to say that that's wrong or that that's never good. But like for this movie in particular, I thought it was such an interesting tool to use for three and a half hours, basically, to not overdo it. Yeah. And I feel like that would have been so hard in the making of the movie to just be like, we are not going to like take this all the way to the place that maybe yeah. you feel like we're going to hold back a little bit a lot of restraint yeah yeah and it felt like yeah there was that restraint for a lot yeah. of the movie and then at the end kind of setting the record straight yeah i i 100% agree but i will say the only thing about this movie that's like holding it back from me putting it up there with the irishman silence mm-hmm. uh some of scorsese's later work which i i've loved like his recent run has like been amazing mm-hmm. is that it did feel a little one note throughout it, mm-hmm. it it didn't have those those uh 
you know, it didn't ebb and flow story-wise for me, pacing-wise. And I'm not saying you, there needed to be more, you know, intrigue, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, it just, I don't know, like musically, it was just kind of like holding the same note for a long time. Like sure. the same, it never really built or anything. And so, which didn't bother me for like two and a half hours, but like that last hour, I, that's when I started to feel it. Because I, I well, felt like, that's... I felt like there were so many scenes in the film that that accomplished the same thing. But that's whenever I come in with, what if you hadn't read the book? And that's where I'm thinking, I don't know if that's just because I, I, think, get, I get two and a half hours in and I go, well, I know where it's going. I Can think we that we are, there? I think that we're, yeah. Um, you know, I think we messed ourselves up for the movie by reading the book because you get to that last hour of the movie. Yeah. And it is, <clears throat> it's like procedural in the worst way because as somebody that's read the book, you know the back and forth. Yeah. You know that this person's going to talk to this person, going to talk to that person. Then yeah. they're going to go to jail. Then once somebody, you know, the lawyers come in and, you know, and you kind of know the rigmarole already. Yeah. And that like, last come hour, on, come on. that last hour of the movie, you kind of know what you're getting into and you're like, oh, well, this conversation that they're having to me, I felt this way. I was like, this conversation that they're having doesn't really mean that much because I know that they're just about to go back on it in the next scene. Yeah. And <clears throat> so I felt like as somebody that had read the book, if we hadn't read the book, it would have been much more gripping. Oh, wait, you're saying you, you did, you did read the book. You know what? Just I'll, clear this I'll reveal podcast. now that I read the book. I read the book. No, so I, I do think, I've been telling people to, like... That you've read the book, yeah, we know. I've been telling people that I've read the book, and uh, that I also listened to the audiobook, <laughs> and that I also... <laughs> well, I'll do you one more. Uh, not only did I read David Grant's Killer of Fire Moons, I read uh, The Wager as okay. well. His latest... Uh... Woo-hoo. Yeah. Yeah, Same. wow. Did you listen to it, or did you read it? No, I just read it. Wow. I'm an educated man. I read with my eyeballs. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, let me let me hit you with this before we kind of wrap up. Killers of the Flower Moon. There were some great performances in this movie. What was your favorite performance, or what performance do you think was the best? Um, Lily Gladstone. Gladstone. Yeah. I'm with you, Lily I, Gladstone. I thought she was the best. She was so good in this. Yeah, she was like insanely good and it was just the pressure mm -hmm. of doing that movie i'm sure was great the responsibility she felt i'm sure yeah was huge and uh every scene that she was in was just like at the beginning of the movie whenever they're starting their relationship like you feel a sense of like so much hope and yeah. like every scene that she was in, you just like, she played it so cool. And I don't know if that's how the real like Molly Burkhart was or not, of course, but it's like, she was just, she played everything. Uh, I think you use the right word with restraint 
which mm-hmm. I feel like would be the hardest thing to do yeah. in that environment. Um, I mean, she did it all well. Like, it, like those first scenes when they're meeting each other, there were so many moments where she's just like giving him a look and it communicates so yeah. much. But then the scenes where she really has to like, you know, lean into it and give it her all where she's like literally being poisoned and like almost dying and is sick. Like those scenes, she kills it. And then that final scene where she confronts where she Ernest, just walks out, where she like asks Ernest to like just just admit it, just admit it, and he won't. And that's the thing that was to me. It was just like yes. Uh, whenever she doesn't even like wait for a response anymore. Yeah. Or like uh, like I'm trying to remember the scene exactly, but I want to say that she just like kind of unexpectedly. Yeah. And without much emotion, turns around and leaves the room never to see him again yeah and it was just like because he had admitted to so much but he didn't admit to the uh poisoning uh, her uh what was the medicine uh penicillin no insulin the insulin penicillin penicillin, penicillin. Yeah. <laughs> oh. idiot yeah no uh, the, uh, and he wouldn't admit to it and then she just without a word just like okay just gets up yeah and that's the to me at the beginning of the movie she played I don't even know how to describe it. It was just like you, you said it better than I could where it was just like with a look or with a mm-hmm. glance, like yeah. basically communicated everything she needed to communicate. But, um, I think she just, it was, uh, just restraint is the word. I don't even know how to describe it. It's like, yeah. it was, it was restraint because I feel like the impulse would be to be like big and dramatic and mm-hmm. all that stuff. But I feel like everybody, in the movie played it kind of chill yeah it was like all full of restraint well this is just this movie was further confirmation for me that leonardo dicaprio is at his best when he's playing little freaks little weirdos little weirdos yeah like django one of his best performances (laughs) one of his one of his littlest and weirdest weirdos once upon a time in hollywood where he's like this really insecure yeah like a weird actor one of his best performances this one Oh man, like, why? Why was he playing cool, handsome, stoic guys for so long? This is what he was born to do, dude. I think it's so funny how many times they commented on the movie how handsome he was. (laughs) (laughs) He was just like (laughs) his teeth were just that was early twentieth century handsome. It's a very different kind of handsome. It's a very yeah, it's a very different flavor of handsome. De Niro was great too because he kind of is like at one point playing his kind of like typical lovable grandfather role he does in comedies Mm -hmm. and then like on a dime just like showing how like unabashedly evil he could be at the same time like that was good you know who was surprisingly great in their scenes i think you can guess jason isbell oh yeah yeah dude that scene with leonardo dicaprio in his house i was like i think he just like he just stole a scene from DiCaprio. You know what? I was, whenever we were watching this in the theater, I was thinking, if you're Jason Isabel, what do you do when you just all of a sudden find yourself <laughs> in a one-on-one scene Yeah, with Leonardo DiCaprio? And I thought he was awesome. He in killed it. it. Yeah, he killed it completely. Well, well, and not only is he in a scene with Leonardo DiCaprio, but in the scene, he is confronting him. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was 
a surprising amount of musicians in that film. And one I didn't even recognize Sturgill Simpson. at the time. My boy Pete Yorn. Oh, was Pete in the Yorn film. was in it? Pete Yorn was in it. I didn't even notice. Here, that. I'll show you. Is this guy. Hold on. <laughs> because the next day I saw someone um, mention that was Pete Yorn. And I was like, what? And I was like, it is. So I took a picture and sent it to my brother. Because we're both Pete Yorn fans. Was it musicians? Is he from Oklahoma? Oh. That was, that was Pete Yorn. Wow. Yeah. Are they all, were they from Oklahoma? I don't know, but. I think Jason Isabel might be. No, I thought he was from, well, I don't know. Well, then we had Jack White at the end. Yeah, Jack White was in it. Um, But yeah. And he's definitely not from Oklahoma. Yeah, that's weird. There were a lot of musicians in it. No, but. Yeah, I I really liked it. Another thing I wanted to mention. Final thought real quick. Well, this isn't my final thought, but this is another thing I want to mention. ignore my suggestion. Something that they did in the book. yes and. Yeah, well, no, I'm no anding. Yeah. Uh, Something they did in the book that they didn't do in the movie that I actually thought was really good that I wished they had included in some way Uh was they mention... um, William Hale's close in the book, how he was like basically a rough and tumble cowboy on the plains mm-hmm. for years and years and years. And then one day overnight bought a suit and a pair of glasses and like a hat and started dressing differently and acting differently around town and like giving off this air of like wealth a little bit more Mm -hmm. and i think that that's a really interesting setup for what you see happen in later in the book and in the movie is that uh that idea that basically he spent all this time doing i mean pretty much grunt work like pushing cows and then all of a sudden he's going to change faces and act completely different. You got to control the narrative, man. And I thought that that was kind of a cool, like, obviously it's a book when you're reading it, but like visual representation of like acting different when you need to be different. And like how now I'm transferring my, transforming myself into this other person so that I can do these other things. But I'm really like, when I need to flip back and forth, I'm just going to flip back and forth and be a different person where it's almost like the suit and all of the like wealth was the mask Mm -hmm. and he could just put that mask on and operate and do whatever he needed to do. But that wasn't who he was. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Also, I think we'd be remiss not to mention our boy, Tom White. Yeah. That, that's something I was like, Obviously, for what the movie's going for, they don't need to no. show a bunch of Tom White because it it's not the point. Uh, but yes. if you're if you're interested, you should Google at least Tom White's life, you know, during the investigation, especially afterwards, because it's uh-huh. literally unbelievable. Yeah, like I honestly, when I was reading it, I thought Wyatt Earp has what two movies. And our boy Tom White can't even get a get his own movie. He did way more than White Earp, I feel like. Yeah, Tom White's life was insane. Uh, like in like yeah. the backstory of like 
his like, childhood. His child- it book, literally like, was like, like a superhero <laughs> origin story. There is like a chapter where it just dives in to yeah. Tom White's childhood, like his brothers, which is very interesting. Yeah. His dad, which is a very interesting story. How the Texas Rangers started. Yeah. Uh, how the FBI began. And uh, there's a lot in the book about uh, Hoover. Oh, yeah. J. Edgar. J. Yeah. Edgar Hoover. There's like a significant amount yeah. of stuff in the book about J. Edgar Hoover. And it's all fascinating. Nothing. It really, really did have nothing to do with what Chris says he was going yeah. for with this but, movie. Yeah, because no And matter, it was good that he left it out. Yeah. But it was fascinating stuff. No matter how fascinating it all was, it should not... And, you know, it should not overshadow the complicity of that town and the crimes against the Osage. (laughs) But just for your intellectual curiosity, you can Google some of that stuff. Yeah. Because it would have been completely out of place in the movie. Yeah. Um, But because Scorsese was right to focus in on, you know, uh, the crimes of the Osage. But yeah. Or not the crimes of the Osage, crimes against the Osage. That's a key difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's some interesting stuff. Well, uh, do you want to rate it? Yeah. What do we want to rate it? Uh, well, part of me is like, I feel like if we make it too goofy, it's kind of disrespectful. So, so you want to go with stars? I just say, you know, <laughs> out of five. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, okay, just real quick to sum up my thoughts. I thought it was a really well done examination of you know the banal evil that exists in this country and how um how evil done against people in this country can happen in very understated normal average ways which almost makes it even more creepy and unnerving Mm -hmm. um i do think it was a bit one note at times and that there were scenes that i felt like kind of accomplished the same point and showed the same thing. Uh, not to say that the movie shouldn't be three and a half hours because I think a movie can be however long it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and it could have been influenced by me reading the book and knowing what happens. Yeah. But because that it just felt a little one note at times, I would give it four stars. Mm-hmm. But the more I have thought about the movie since we watched it, the more I have liked it in, in retrospection. So maybe if I rewatch it one day, which it's kind of like silence that, when I get done with it, I'm like, I don't want to rewatch this for a while. Sure. If I do, I could see myself giving it more. But for right now, I give a four out of five. I was thinking four as well. Um, I really enjoyed it. There were at times it felt a little slow, but I think that Scorsese's vision for what the movie was and what it became and what he focused on kind of cutting away the things that weren't representative of, uh, what he wanted to put on the screen or what, what he wanted the movie to say. Um, I thought that that was all really good. I thought the subject matter was really good and I thought it brought attention to something that most people have no idea about. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was a, a genocide of a entire group of people. Um, and I know I had never heard of it until, I read the book until maybe a year ago. I'd never heard about it. And so I think it brings to light, you know, some of the hidden history 
that uh, has taken place in this country that it's not pretty, but needs to be known and needs to be talked about. So, yeah, for that, I think four, baby. Four? All right. Also, I hope that, is it Gladwell is her last name? Lily Gladwell? I thought it was Gladstone. Maybe you could look it up real quick. I thought it was Gladstone, and then I thought you said Gladwell. I thought I said Gladstone. I thought you said Gladwell. Well, (laughs) we'll let the listeners prove who was right or wrong. Also, if you're listening to this and you watched the movie but did not read the book, tell us what you think about it. Because I've I've been asking people to see it that haven't read the book so that I can hear their opinion about the pacing yeah. and kind of some of that well, stuff. I'd be interested to hear. Well, I've been mentioning it to like people and family members, you know, and they're like, yeah. Oh yeah, I saw previously. That looks good. You know, how was it? I was like, and I'd be like, Oh, it's great. Blah, blah. blah. And I'd be like, it's three and a half Yeah. So like, yeah I say real quick, oh yeah. It's great. It's three and a half hours. Yeah. But it's like, well, I feel like if I tell people it's three and a half hours, they're going to go, Oh yeah, no. Anyway, I was going to say, I hope that she can, I hope she's in a bunch of different stuff now and can do whatever she wants. She almost quit acting before she got cast. Did you, did oh you yeah. I think I did hear about that. Yeah. Dude, I hope she does whatever she wants because I would love to see her in a bunch of different stuff. Uh, Scorsese was talking about whenever he cast her and he was he was saying, I mean, basically what you said, where it's just like the look is all that she has to do and yeah. you know exactly what she, she means in a scene. But uh, no, that would be really cool. She seems so unique and like different from other actors out there right now. So yeah. No, it was it was a great performance. I, I'd love to see her pop up in some more things, and I really hope this movie uh, kind of catapults her into more projects because, mm-hmm. you know, sadly there's a lot of talent uh, on the actor side in Hollywood that sadly can only happen if, you know, they get put in a, a big movie with a lot of attention that kind of builds up momentum. But I feel like, you know, she could have been, you know, crushing it in other roles plenty of other roles before this and i'm glad scorsese could give her this you know showcase yeah definitely anyway that's all i know about that yeah well that's been our discussion on killers of the flower moon uh hopefully we can get some more stuff out here for you Hey, I hope you enjoyed our conversation on Killers of the Flower Moon. Please let us know what you thought. Reach out to us. Leave a star rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And if you're listening on audio, remember you can watch our channel on Why It's Great on YouTube. You can watch the podcast clips. You can watch video essays, movie reviews, all that and more. So please go over to YouTube and subscribe. And check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash whyitsgreat. All right. See you later.